I feel like I know less right now than when I walked in today. Um, and that's a feeling that I'm, I've become, I kind of crave now I, I'm excited to try to feel that way just because it shows me that I've picked something new up. Thank you. And that's sincerely from the bottom of my heart for you taking your time to listen to the Talking Shop podcast. And I'm extremely grateful for that. If you enjoy my content and want to stay up to date with it, please consider subscribing to my YouTube, just at Matt Tometz, my name. That's where all my podcasts and informational coaching and sports science videos are. If you want to stay up to date with my social media, that's at Coach Big Toe, Coach B-I-G-T-O-E. And shoot me a DM. I'd love to know who you are, your story, where you want to go, and how I can help get you there. Without further ado, please enjoy. Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here to share stories, lessons, and experiences in sports performance and professional development. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Zach Kogan. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good, man. Nice to be here, Matt. I'm excited to, you know, just talk shop and, and you know, pick each other's brains for a little bit. Fantastic. We are here to make it happen after a long email text tag, just <laughs> trying to trying to get this recorded. But Dr. Kogan, Zach, at the sports physio underscore, absolutely killing the IG social media game. He is a performance physical therapist and the rehab manager at Exos San Diego. And before that, he has a ton of experience ranging from UCLA, USC, the USOC, the US Olympic Committee, as well as doing his, his PhD out in New York and a ton of other stuff. So um, very exciting stuff. We connected just through the power of a DM, which is how some of my guests have come to be. So it's just crazy how simple it can be or just how overcomplicated people make things out to be. So I'm excited to chat to hear kind of about your story, your experiences, your background, as I listed a, a little bit. So I'm, I'm excited to hear kind of behind the curtains how all this came to be. So first, looking back, what is the most fundamental story? So kind of like the first, without X, you know, you wouldn't have started on this path. Yeah, so great question as there are a few stories that pop into my head, uh, but one in particular that's the most profound in terms of my path, my story, how I got to where I am, uh, and how uh, the, uh, the overall general consensus of what an, an exam is supposed to portray or measure a person's you know, ability to tolerate X, Y, and Z program in an educational field. Um, it's going to go back to when I was applying for physical therapy school. So as an undergrad, I wrestled in college um, and my grades were par. They were very average. They were not above average. I was very focused on wrestling, practicing, things of that nature. And I got caught up in that world and school took kind of a, you know, a backseat approach. And about halfway through my undergraduate experience, I decided that I had to, you know, turn the gears up because I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist. I knew I wanted to go down that road. And if I continued on that path at, with the grades that I was pumping and producing, it'd be a very difficult one for me. So I was able to improve my output uh, slightly, uh, but I was kind of behind the eight ball. And I, I paid for that a little bit in terms of how schools responded to me when I applied to school. Uh, I didn't believe that the the grades that I had reflected who I was as a, as a person and what I could do uh, and my drive and motivation, uh, which also kind of piggybacks into 
the GRE, so the graduate record exam. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, so to, to get into physical therapy school, a lot of graduate schools and the health professions or just anything in general, you need to take that examination to as an entry point that schools can see if you're competent enough to handle a caseload of courses that are rigorous, lots of homework, you know, lots of exams, papers, you know, so on and so forth. Can you comprehend reading for long periods of time in, you know, an educational form format? So I ended up taking the GRE five times. Uh, so it took me three years to get into school. Uh, the reason why I say that grades were um, kind of a limiting factor to me, schools had eventually told me that my grades weren't where they should be on my uh, on my school reports for freshman, so all the way freshman through senior year, but they could see a trend in the right direction. And even after telling them my story, my GRE scores did not meet their expectations, which unfortunately was a massive rock in how to get into school, uh, which was super frustrating. You know, after the first year, I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'll just, I'll get a tutor. I'll study a little differently. Try not to get too, uh, you know, unmotivated. And year two, I took the test two more times and I ended up not getting the scores that I wanted to. And I definitely got a lot more frustrated with myself, with the system, knowing that this this test was ridiculous and does not reflect who I am as an individual, how I think my you know emotional intelligence, my intelligence overall, I did not uh, see it reflect that way. And me working in the physical therapy field, being a physical therapy aide, being around that setting, I could not understand what the relationship was between the GRE and being an actual physical therapist. Uh, so, you know, Fast forward in the story, I ended up taking the exam five times. Uh, and after three years, I, after almost wanting to give up, I was super close to stopping that track and kind of going on plan B or C, but wrestlers mentality, grit, determination, familiar with the sport of wrestling, it's an absurdly hard sport. So it's taught me a lot about how to be persistent. And I kept pushing and grinding and, and I got through the, the door. And, you know, once I got into school, it was like, game over. I, I'm just going to continue, you know, I'm here, I'm putting 110% into everything that I do and I still do today. So the reason why I bring that story up is sitting here now in the position that I'm in, I can confidently say that the GRE has absolutely nothing to do with what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So it was by far the most profound thing that I can think of uh, when talking about my story, my path, and the significance of kind of what I do you know, and, and help the athletes that I work with today. Definitely the most fundamental, as you said, like you were this close to going to plan B, plan C, oh, yeah. but kind of going back. So when it was that like junior, senior-ish moment when you decided to like, you know, kick up your academic efforts, was it, was it a slow building process? Like your freshman, sophomore year, you were like, yeah, like I probably should, but like, I'm just so into wrestling. Or was it like a one, a very acute moment you looked at your report card and you were like, uh-oh. Do, do you remember kind of how yeah. that feeling, was it more chronic or more acute? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So I did flirt with some of those, those thoughts and feelings earlier in, you know, my undergraduate experience. I definitely told myself those things, but it still went on the back burner until I very, I vividly remember uh, going to my advisor's office who is, you know, helping me plan out. And I went the route, I didn't do a science 
uh, based uh, undergraduate degree. So I got my BS in psychology uh, and I took the prerequisite courses to, you know, apply and, and qualify to be a candidate for physical therapy school for my DBT. So I went to my advisor's office and, you know, I was pointing out, hey, I still have these courses to take. And they essentially kind of called me out. They're like, listen, you continue on this on, at this rate and, and you get these consistent scores that you're getting on your exams, the things you're producing on your transcript, it's not going to go over well and you're going to be fighting a pretty uphill battle. So that was kind of the moment where things kind of switched, a switch flipped in my head. I spent way more time in the library. I really tried to pick up the pieces uh, and I did the best that I could, uh, you know, with, with putting myself behind the eight ball there. But, um, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. So I, I went through that experience on purpose, not on purpose, but uh, I think you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I totally echo what you say about how the GRE has nothing to do with you know, being a good professional in PT school and all of this stuff. And, and I always equate that even more similarly to the CSCS where it's like, it's kind of like a driver's license, you know, you need it. But all of the things that I had to remember about how many miles per hour relative to motorcycle and all this stuff, it's like, I've never used that ever. But at the end of the day, you yes. need it to drive, you know, and having my, having my internship to be a, a sports performance coach in between my sophomore and my junior year ruined the last two years of school for me. Cause I was like, this is not, this is not how it works, you know? So as you were, so I would assume, so those three years you were a mm -hmm. PT aide, correct? Yeah. So I worked as a physical therapy aide uh, at a PT clinic back at home. I'm from originally from New York. So uh, I worked there for a long time, just trying to I knew I wanted to be in that space. So it, it just made the most sense to me. So how, how tough was it? Or what were kind of those emotions throughout those three years of study, mm -hmm. take the test, not get the grades you want, but then having to go to a PT clinic. And it's like, I'm literally doing it. Like I'm doing PT right now, not, mm -hmm. not as a DPT, but you're in this space, you're getting experience. You're like, this makes so much sense. I can do it. But there's just this one thing, you know, and over three years kind of Kind of how did all of that kind of build up or do you remember those emotions of like going to work every day and you're like i, I can do it you know yeah frustration is the first word that pops into my head i mean it's it is just it was super frustrating uh you know being able to have the ability to be in that environment but not get my foot in the door so i can be on the path to to do that type of thing you know as a PT aide, I'm not necessarily diagnosing, treating, evaluating, assessing, uh, prescribing movement interventions, but I'm, you know, I'm able to take individuals through different things, work on my communication skills with clients, with patients, uh, pick a physical therapist's brain. So it was frustrating, yet something in me just kind of wanted to stay engaged. And I was able to find a way to stay engaged on a day-to-day -day basis to still do good work, you know, as a PT aide and, and try to make a difference in someone's life, even though I wasn't necessarily the person that was, you know, driving the car. Fantastic. So last question on this topic, throughout this, you know, three, four, five year journey, the last few years of school, plus three years before you got into DPT school, who was kind of the biggest person mentor? Was it a family member that kind of just kept you from from losing your sanity? So I, the first people that pop in my head are my parents. I mean, I spent the most time with my parents collectively as I was living at home at the time. And they ultimately pushed me to, they were 
part of the reason why I push myself and continue to push me each day when I did not want to do it. Uh, they knew how ridiculous the system was that I had to get past this test to do something. And uh, they knew me better than anybody else. So, you know, I, I owe a lot of it to them, ultimately keeping my head in the game and kind of pushing me when I would get down on myself. Cause you know, it, like I said, it got frustrating at times. And so they're definitely the most profound or pronounced people that I can, that kind of pop into my head. There's definitely been a theme on, on TSP thus far, and you'll be episode 102, fun fact, of just like no one has gotten, you know, noteworthy stories of TSP without having one or many or multiple people kind of just to be in their corner for like lack of a better mm -hmm. term. But I think that, that that phrase definitely does it justice. So definitely had to ask that, but it, it's, it's crazy how such a simple moment like the GRE or for me, I walked on and then my coach basically just, that's a whole different story. But it's like, if I hadn't made the team, you know, then how I went from walk on to college world series in one year, what I did when I didn't get a Jersey at the beginning of the season. So then getting a Jersey, you know, and there's all of these lessons to where I think how you do something is, or how you do one thing is how you do everything. I think that's not exactly true, but I think that there are a lot of commonalities between how you do things, which I guess I kind of just contradicted what I said. Um, but yeah, super fundamental. And like, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. There's a lot of trials and tribulations and, and it's, it's almost like a, a survivorship kind of challenge, you know, like who can just make it, make it the longest. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was a grind. I, I mean, when I think about it, when I think back on that, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's a moment where I'm proud of myself that I didn't give up because I just, when you're, when you're so motivated and you have a vision and you really want to get to point B, you'll, there's way more than one path to get there. And no matter how long it could take, you know, there, there usually is a way to get to that point B. It's just a matter of, having the time and patience with yourself is, is what I've learned is the most important thing, which is, I'm something I'm still working on to be patient with yourself, but you know, it's, it's definitely an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And, and the biggest part of what you just said is having that vision, you know, people can say, Oh, I'm motivated and I want to do big things, but it's like, okay, well, how are you going to do that? You know, everyone, everyone gets the Absolutely. why, but they often forget to, you, you got to pair that with a what, like you have to do something. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I can only imagine what, what it was like Because I've had similar situations, but it's like, I know what I want and I'm going to make it happen. There's just a few, a few things there. So, so the super cool fundamental story. So next we'll get on to kind of the middle ish part of your, your current career. What is the coolest story you have this far? So someone was like, Oh my gosh, you're like a sports BT. Like, like tell, tell me the coolest story. Like you could only tell one, what would it be? Mm. So this is a tough one because uh, I, I love what I do so much that I think everything that I experience is really cool. Uh, it, it's exciting to get up every morning and go to work. Uh, I really do enjoy interacting, working with the elite athlete population. As Like I said, this was a vision that I've had. Uh, so I, I take in every moment like it's the coolest thing on earth, um, to me at least. So most recently... At the beginning of quarantine, uh, when everything just kind of like shut down, uh, I 
became a little more active on social media, on Instagram. And I had an athlete reach out to me uh, without mentioning any names, an Olympic freestyle skier uh, who was going through something in her career that she was struggling with. And uh, she opted to, she had a long history of knee injuries on both sides, uh, tore both ACLs, had reconstructive surgery twice on one of them, and then retore after having surgery on the other and decided to opt out of getting surgery. And although in another country uh, across the globe, essentially, uh, she reached out to, um, you know, instill her trust in me to help her get back to her level of elite sport that she wishes to get at, which is essentially competing in the next Olympic game. So competing in the prior game, she has the goal of getting back on the slope and, and doing what she's supposed to do and what she feels like she's meant to do. So I felt, um, it wasn't something that I've done before as a physical therapist. You know, this was the first time I was working with somebody who was looking to manage conservatively, essentially trying to compete with no ACL on her limb that in a sport that's extremely demanding, that has extraordinary requirements when absorbing forces in the ground and, you know, understanding passively what the ACL contributes to in terms of our movement in three dimensions and how difficult that feat is. Um, you know, it was, it was, I saw it as a challenge and I was excited. Uh, and by far working with this athlete has been one of the coolest things that I've experienced as a practitioner uh, today. So um, just to kind of press the, sl the small fast forward without going through, you know, not going too fast or too slow. Over time, I was able to work virtually and assess virtually, which you know, was a challenge in its own right to be able to hit the nail on the head and without putting my hands on something to, to truly feel what's going on, uh, doing my best that I can from a, a virtual aspect, uh, from a movement standpoint and from a prevention standpoint, programming, loading standpoint, all those types of things that you really take a step back and look at to make sure that this athlete is fully prepared to do what they need to do in, com in competing elite, elite sports, uh, specifically what you need to do. Um, you know, psychologically having those conversations with her, making sure she's mentally prepared, not just physically prepared and, and making sure that that psychosocial standpoint is taken care of as well. So biopsychosocially, making sure she's all checked in and tapped in and, and zoned in on the goal, um, just being able to work with her over time and eventually, you know, having point B being her initial competitions for qualifications to get into the games, to be on the Olympic team, you know, as that's kind of the first step to get to where she needs to be. And, you know, I had the opportunity to eventually work with her in person. You know, I was able to, she came to America. She uh, competed in a tournament. She was competing in a tournament uh, out in Park City, Utah. And I uh, had the pleasure and opportunity to meet her in person and work uh, at the facility that I'm at right now in Exos in San Diego. And we were able to work and she was there for an extended amount of time. And we've finally able to, you know, feel what things felt like, see what's going on, uh, you know, converse with her person to person, which is, you know, obviously completely different uh, connecting with somebody at that level virtually. So it was able to take uh, that communication, uh, that camaraderie and kind of just rapport to a next level and being able to, watch and see her compete in uh, the US championships uh, as she ended up making the finals, uh, which was 
I mean, she ended up making the finals and getting enough buzz uh, within the Australian landscape to uh, get the call from the Olympic committee to, you know, be on their shadow team, which is essentially kind of their, um, their kind of like prospect team for who's going to be going to the games and watching her do her thing. And, you know, along the way, having some setbacks, you know, having a difficult time because she's dealing with some stability issues. She's lacking that passive stability and the demands of sport a lot for the body to handle and without that integrity of of that passive structure it's kind of it's tough to dynamically you know tolerate those forces so kind of wrapping it up i being able to see it from beginning to end or middle to end you know when she came to me she was she was struggling considerably and getting her to point b is compete go through a full run have her one of her best scores that she's had in some time and you know have, see her be excited because she ended up coming back to San Diego after she competed and uh, getting to, you know, congratulate her. It, it was a really, it was a really cool experience that reminded me, you know, why I love to do this and, and getting to put this, this tools and skill set and knowledge level that I've, I've really worked hard on developing to help the athletes in front of me. Uh, it was really exciting. And, you know, it's, it's kind of just the, the beginning of the story. I feel at least for her, just because we still have kind of that next circuit for the Olympic games. So uh, very excited to continue working with her, but definitely the, the, one of the coolest experiences I've, I've went through so far. Definitely do not want to understate the power of social media and a DM, AKA how you and it's, I met. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> for as cliche as it sounds and nowadays i mean it's becoming it's becoming a norm in terms of communication channel and, and networking and things like that so you know the the amount of respect that i have for her entrusting me with just kind of what she saw superficially and and after the evaluation that she felt so comfortable uh continuing to work with me you know I, i'm extremely grateful for uh her trust in me so shout out to i'm not going to mention a name but she knows who she is it's, it's crazy how like how personal like a phone number and an email is, but there's four ways someone could pop up on my phone right now, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and like LinkedIn, you know, but I, I wouldn't give my number email out to like a stranger, you know, but that, you know, like it could literally pop up right now. So it's just so crazy. Like, I feel like stuff like this happens more, more than someone would probably guess. So mm. definitely do not want to understate that, but two questions kind of on that story. So first, so you'll answer the first one, but I want to share both just to get it out there before sure. I forget yeah, myself. Yeah. So the first one is like, when you went from DM to agreeing to work with her, you know, what was the process like of phone calls, Zooms? What kind of questions did you intentionally ask? Was, was there a few phone calls of simply just chatting or like deciding to take on this not so easy endeavor, you know, what was kind of the process from her first hitting send to your first official session together? And then the mm -hmm. second question is, of course, we can understand the challenges of being through Zoom, of not being able to get your hands on someone, just not having, just being able to feel the emotions and just stuff like that. But having it started through Zoom, what is one of the benefits you think that came from that? that if you had been in person from day one, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. So, yeah. So the process, the process was, it seemed pretty seamless. I mean, by hearing she, you know, reaching out and her telling me 
her story and, and seeing the adversity that she's overcome already. Uh, that was you know, easily, I mean, I want to work with all types of athletes, but I was uh, particularly excited to work with that work with that athlete just because of the story and, and the determination that she already had. And, um, it was a simple DM back and planning a meeting via zoom or Skype or whatever it was. And, uh, just getting at that level of communication, you know, it was, I did not put a time limit on this evaluation. You know, it was essentially a very long subjective. So a very long conversation with myself and her and kind of identifying everything that I felt clinically was, was applicable and necessary to understand from a, from a distance standpoint, because I can't actually put my hands on something um, and kind of move and feel things. Uh, so it was strategically had to do some very, um, very intense investigative work at, at first and then feel comfortable uh, understanding what I wanted to see from a movement standpoint and uh, kind of move on from there from, uh, you know, developing a plan of care, prescribing the different types of things and interventions that would be most beneficial and specific to uh, what she needed to do. Um, so I'm not sure if that answered your question, but, you know, it was, it, it was pretty seamless and it was, it was funky, you know, doing it virtually just because uh, that is the first time that I've, truly went down the virtual road. I mean, the physical therapy profession as a whole made this big shift to a telehealth model and uh, just to, to continue doing what we do and empowering lives and enhancing, you know, the, just the overall quality of life of individuals. Uh, that was the best thing at that point in time since we couldn't see anybody in person. So, uh, you know, it was just kind of rolling with the times and making, finding out a way to make it work. And, and that answered my follow-up question. So that was, was that your first time doing that yep. like through zoom and everything yep. so mm -hmm. so was it kind of copy paste of what you would do in person and then modify or did you rewrite mm -hmm. the whole script mm -hmm. or when you decided yes let's make this happen after having conversations figuring out she's in the right headspace and kind of just some of that investigative work so you know it's figuring out that it is yes and then figuring out how do i make this happen was it rewriting mm -hmm. the whole script was it was it, I'm going to follow the same model, you know, but work with what I have or kind of, um, how did, how did you sure. decide to make it happen? Yeah. So no matter this, no matter the setting, uh, my clinical practice wouldn't change, you know, my, my philosophy, my thought process, my logic chain, my rationale and reasoning for, for looking at certain things, prescribing certain things, uh, wouldn't change. You know, I'm, uh, as a practitioner, I have one goal in mind and to, you know, kind of stay on that path and make sure that I can figure out how to do that uh, from a distance uh, with good verbal communication uh, was the, the was the goal. And that kind of just leads me into eventually understanding the importance of how you communicate with the athlete or the individual in front of you that's across the screen and the, the cueing that you provide, whether internal or external, understanding how that can change or alter what they're doing. So being as specific as possible uh, with the communication that I provide, demonstrations. Uh, so verbal communication became of utmost importance um, from an assessment standpoint and from an intervention standpoint. So assessing became a little more difficult, obviously, than it, than it typically would be just from a testing and, you know, 
palpation feeling standpoint. So it became way more almost all movement assessment, movement analysis. And it's different because in person, if I'm looking at someone move in closed chain, right with their feet on the ground, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, you know, being able to, if I could provocate their pain with their feet on the ground, uh, one of the things that I find is helpful for me in terms of where I'd like to take their programming or interventions or what I'd like to look at next from an assessment standpoint, uh, I will, you know, add some sort of external uh, constraint or uh, build up the ground for them or take away the ground for them or give them different cues to try to mitigate any pain that they would have reproduced with a movement that they did. So um, I'm not able to actually move or feel or kind of put my hand on a certain area. So it became, you know, more strategically kind of finding different things, using a towel, using things that they have around the house to kind of help drive assessment or intervention or something along those lines. So it was just, you had to kind of adapt and feel comfortable pivoting uh, pretty frequently. Making it happen. So the, the second yeah. question, which I, I didn't forget, but so looking back now that, you know, she came to the States and you're able to work with her in person and, you know, we've been in COVID for over a year now, what was one of the best things that came from having to do it over zoom at the beginning? That's a tough question. I mean, it has to be just having the time to develop a relationship with somebody that is purely based on, you know, communication, active listening, um, you know, from a body language standpoint, there's only so much nonverbal communication you can pick up from uh, a video call. So, you know, it really was about developing that type of relationship with the athlete and uh, communicating and, and just keeping in touch that frequently that uh, there was that, that trust level that was developed. And, um, you know, a, someone, one could say that you can develop a, a different sense of trust through a virtual uh, type of platform. But, you know, I, I just believe that it helped lay a foundational, you know, groundwork of um, just a, a rapport that, um, you know, because it's important for the athlete to have trust in you and believe in, in what you're telling them because they're entrusting that you're going to lead them down the right path. So uh, I think that from that standpoint, it kind of spoke um, without even being said. And it was almost that the standard or the norm was to communicate through, you know, phone, computer to where they were almost more accessible as opposed to waiting for the appointment or waiting to see each other in person. Yeah. Would you say that, that that was part of it, that just the, to build that relationship, it was almost easier because it was almost understood that it, it would be through the phone. So it's a little bit easier to get in more frequent contact. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely. And I, you know, for, and this is for all the athletes that I work with, you know, I, I promote communicating as frequently as possible. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, the type of practitioner who's going to say, Hey, you can only really hit me up during the week, leave me alone on the weekends. You know, I, I open the door for frequent communication as needed. You know, if something pops up, if you tweak something, if you're feeling great, like you want to do something else, like, you know, I, I like having that type of relationship with the athletes that I work with. So, uh, disclosing that in the beginning, I think was uh, a necessary, um, just a necessary step to take. And I think she took to it pretty well. Fantastic. Very cool story. So last big question or last big story, the biggest full circle moment you've had thus far. So kind of looking back after all the dust has settled, you're like, that was, 
I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of, of how that played out or how that, that ended up. What, what story would you share? It's challenging to, as I said with the other one, it's challenging to think of just one story that came full circle just because throughout my career, I find that I've had several of those stories when I sit back and I, I, I just with good introspection and kind of just like self-evaluating and assessing and uh, thinking about my experience and how it made me felt and, uh, you know, the positive and negatives take away from it. Each step and rung of the ladder has had that instant in that story um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do my best to kind of break this into it's one story but have like two separate segues that'll be very nicely kind of seamless into one another so specific with my background right after school i went into a uh, a sports physical therapy residency program uh, and i moved out to la to continue that and i was presented with the opportunity to apply for uh, a, a sports physical therapy fellowship uh, with USC, which that's when I uh, spent my time working as a physical therapist for UCLA Athletics uh, as part of that fellowship program. And my experience uh, during the fellowship, it, the fellowship was designed to develop, learn, um, create a, uh, a logic chain thought process and become uh, more of a specialized type of practitioner working with a higher level elite athlete population, return to play uh, within that division one setting and, and understanding the demands of what working within an interdisciplinary team consists of, uh, how detrimental uh, you know, poor communication could be between disciplines, how rewarding it can be when it's done the right way. So those types of things and, and those experiences within the fellowship, um, looking back, knowing that I, what I wanted to do as a physical therapist later on in my career, working with the professional elite Olympic level athletes and making a difference in their lives, having them accomplish what their goals are. I wouldn't be able to do that in the way that I now believe is the should be the gold standard, even though there isn't necessarily a gold standard. It's very gray across the field, but you know what what I believe would be the the best model to go by. I would not be able to develop that that idea and notion and, and framework in my head without that experience. And I owe that a lot to uh, my mentors during that program. You know, outside of the residency, my mentors were amazing. I developed kind of a, a a baseline foundational knowledge of sports physical therapy uh, in general and the, the subpopulations within that sports PT realm of youth, uh, you know, masters, uh, female athletes, the high school athlete, those kinds of things. Uh, but in the fellowship, being able to do that at a different level while getting mentorship, communicating with different individuals, uh, you know, running the from a rehab standpoint, running the return to play process and, and ultimately making very large decisions, important decisions for an athlete and, and getting them back onto the field in a timely manner under, you know, different pressures and, you know, different people pulling in different directions. So it, it was a, looking back, that was a, a huge, huge experience for me as a practitioner uh, and not just as a practitioner, but as a person too, from a communication level lots of different personalities in a room and understanding how to communicate with different people uh, and how to get the best out of individuals around you. So um, bridging into my role now and how that relates to what I did as a physical therapist at UCLA from 
day one what I've what I've envisioned myself doing and what makes me get out of bed in the morning is is being able to make a difference in an athlete's life, whether it's a post-operative approach or something chronic they've been dealing with that is is difficult for them to crack that code and they've been dealing with it for for so long. Being able to see at the other end what they can do on the, on their stage and knowing that you had an impact without anybody else really knowing it's such a it's an awesome feeling to really see like oh crap like I worked on that with that person like they're able to do that now you know it, it's a it's a profound moment to see them whether it's on television whether it's you know live in game in person you know I would have the opportunity to work with uh, UCLA softball a couple of years ago won a national championship. I was able to rehab uh, and work with a few different individuals from that team. I was able to, uh, you know, watch a baseball game and see a pitcher on a mound for an individual that I worked with. You know, it's and I had different experiences like that. Watching the NFL draft and understanding that I I worked with you know our team at Exos and we all together we we provided the. The, the, the tools for them to succeed at their combine, at the pro day, and to help boost their draft stock to, to get drafted at a higher rate or a, a higher round and a higher place and, you know, accomplish their goals and watch them at the next level on TV. It's, you know, it's, it's an exciting thing for me to see, to watch them do their thing. And there's no, no better feeling than seeing an athlete get to do their thing. And rewinding back to my residency, it was an awesome experience getting to have a high school athlete come in and tell me how good they felt, you know, when they scored three goals in a soccer game. And I want to say, you know, it's little things like that, that getting full circles, uh, that's coming full circle of it's a moment that is like, wow, this is why I pushed so hard. This is why I wanted to do all of these things. And this is why I took step A, B, and C. This is why I pushed myself through five GREs, an absurd experience to get to this point. So all full circle to really watch the person in front of you that you work with so closely and you connected with accomplish what they want to do and, and achieve their goals and do their thing. So it's, that's the, the best way to kind of sum it up and kind of tie it in a nice bow. Like, like you bring it full circle. You, you should be a podcast host <laughs> <laughs> back to the first, back to the first story. But it's, it's funny you mentioned that because yesterday I actually went to one of my athletes' soccer games. She plays on a, a local high school team. And it's funny you mentioned that, that like, you know what went on behind the scenes. And it's not that, you know, obviously you don't have to, like, broadcast, but it's just, like, I was just watching her play and it's, like, she just looks different running. Or I know all the time that she put in to be successful on the field. And then consequently, um, <laughs> just high school girls soccer is just super physical and brutal. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like these girls are, are, are beasts. But mm -hmm. it's like, I, I would, I would challenge every person in performance, whether it's a PT, whether it's a performance coach like myself to go watch their athletes play because you'll have that kind of rewarding moment. But then also taking a step back, it's like, you know, to do squats, to do cleans, to do all these agility drills. It's like, at the end of the day, how is this helping us actually play? And I feel like that's something that, that we can get away from is like only thinking about like, what can we do in the facility? But it's like, why are we even in the facility in the first place? So that was just a, the first time for me that I was able to watch one of, one of my athletes compete and play. And I've gotten some of those texts from parents. You know, it's like, uh, I, I had a middle school baseball player. It's like, he just rounded third base and slid headfirst into home. And he's never done that before you know mm -hmm. and it's like mm -hmm. that is just so cool to have those moments so yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, I can only imagine like on TV, it's like, it's like, they're doing it, you know, like that, that's why I'm here. That's why we were together. And yeah, I can only imagine just how full circle that, that must feel. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, just one example of, like I said, you know, any type of athlete that I work with, you know, still working with, uh, you know, high school athletes right now and still working with collegiate athletes. And it's not even just like the, the, the television aspect, but whatever platform and, and avenue that they're performing on, it's like, that's, that's the dream right there. Again, to see them accomplish their goals as an athlete, as a passionate um, advocate sports fan, I'm, I'm a avid sports fan. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. I'm a big New York fan at heart. Mets, Jets, Islanders, Knicks. Uh, it, it's been a difficult road, but still loving, still loving athletics and, and having a true passion for it. I'm able to give back to athletes uh, in that community and, and make a difference in their lives. It's, it's everything. Fantastic. Fantastic. I could not say that better myself. So we will move on to second to last thing. So here on TSP, I love the stories, lessons, experiences, the theoretical, the philosophical, the, the things behind the scenes, right? Things that you won't read in a textbook or learn in class. But at the end of the day, we are all practitioners and we are all trying to do our jobs better. So if you had to give the listener one action item, one question that they can literally ask themselves on a daily basis, put on a sticky note on their mirror, what would that question be to help them get better? So... <laughs> And this brings me back to a time during my fellowship when, uh, when I, I started to really feel uh, the weight of you know how frequently, and I, I speak to my mentor about this all the time. And I tell him that I feel like I know less right now than when I walked in today, um, and that's a feeling that I'm I've become I kind of crave. Now I, I'm excited to try to feel that way just because it shows me that I've picked something new up throughout the day, whether it's during a conversation with a performance coach that I work with or uh, during a sit-down meeting with the, the performance dietitian that I work with or uh, you know, speaking with a, an orthopedic surgeon or speaking with the athlete and learning about, uh, you know, I ask athletes all the time what they need to do on the field. I mean, I learned... Arguably, I learn the most from the athlete that I work for, that I work with in front, in front of me, and it's being able to have those types of moments where uh, you kind of you, you recognize that you really you, you don't know everything yet, and you're you're still always learning. So, the the one question that um, I find myself asking uh, myself, you know, on my on my ride home is, you know, what did I learn today that I didn't know when I woke up. And I think that keeps me in check. It keeps me in check uh, as a practitioner, as a provider, as a, you know, working in a progressive, uh, you know, high performance elite sport model, uh, you know, things are ever changing in the landscape. And uh, I believe it's important to, you know, just keep yourself in check and, and keep yourself accountable. And uh, it's something I enjoy to do. A feeling I'm very familiar with, with my own quarter life crisis that I'm going through, but that's a whole different <laughs> podcast in its own right. But, you know, I'll, I'll add a little bit more perspective on that to where it's that feeling kind of sucks. You know, it's like, oh, like, how did I ever think I had this figured out? You know, or like, like, how did I ever like write that program thinking that, that, that it was like good, you know, but saying that yeah. you crave that feeling. So consequently, well, if you hate it, well, let's say you never had it. 
would you, would you really want to never have feel felt that feeling before of what was yeah. I ever thinking? You know, Eric Cressy has a good quote. Like if you don't face palm, looking back at your programs from a year ago, like you're not yeah. growing as a coach, you know? So it's, yeah. it was interesting to hear you describe it as that feeling you crave, you know, it's like, what am I going to learn today? What's, what's going to give me that face palm moment, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think it's an important notion to just for the profession as a whole, uh, in, in the performance realm, I think it's, it's vital for us to be asking those questions, uh, to be able to put the best product out there, to know what best practices, to be able to make decisions based on the evidence, but also based on your own personal experiences and kind of put two and two together. I think that it's, it's just huge. So I think, I do think it's, you know, just piggybacking off what you said, it's important to have those experiences. It's important to have those feelings. And I, you know, especially in my residency, when feedback was just being thrown at you and you felt like you just didn't know anything, uh, you know, you don't learn unless you kind of go through something like that. So, um, yeah. And I, I, I recognize the value in it and that's why I, I continue to try to, to do that. And, and last thing to kind of comment on that is like, you didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid or, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. It was the field is growing and how do we make the best practice, you know? So mm -hmm. although it can feel super personal because it's you experiencing and it's your emotions, it's really not about you. You know, if at that point in time, you did do what you thought was best, you just have more information now. So mm -hmm. super cool, super cool kind of perspective and, and question. And I'm sure that that'll that'll uh, hopefully send some people down a, a good quarter life crisis like myself. But so now end of the podcast. Thank you for your time. I'm now rolling out the red carpet for you to shamelessly plug whatever you got to plug. Where can the <laughs> listeners get more of you? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if you're not familiar, I do have an Instagram handle. Uh, it's at the sports physio underscore. Um, you know, it's a, it's a platform uh, where, you know, targeted more towards the practitioner, the performance coach, uh, with an approach that in, you know, in my captions, I've had feedback saying that it's some people saying that it's a loss that I put in there. Uh, some people saying that uh, it's awesome to, to read those types of things. But I, I found when I started the, the account that I, it was hard for me to find content where people would break it down on more of a scientific, uh, you know, physiological level to for a practitioner to understand to truly understand the specificity and how uh, movement interventions are prescribed so that's kind of the goal of my account is to uh, reach the practitioner or even the athlete and I've had a lot of athletes reach out to me they're very interested in in understanding their body and I talk to athletes all the time like hey you know your body is your livelihood, you know, especially for these professional athletes. You know, you collect a paycheck based on your your overall physical and mental health it depends on, on, on how healthy you are when you step on, on the pitch or the, the turf or, you know, the diamond, I mean, it's for the court, whatever it may be, it's, it's huge. So I've had athletes, you know, kind of, you know, eat it all up. So it, also for the athletes. So it's a, it's a, a platform for people to ask questions, to learn a little bit, to, uh, you know, pick my brain from uh, a clinical reasoning thought process standpoint, uh, to, yeah. So I don't have any website or any Twitter or anything like that. I kind of, I kept it simple with just one handle. I've, I don't, uh, it's difficult for me to go through multiple social media channels to kind of run an account as one person. But uh, yeah, I do enjoy uh, conversing with, 
you know, different people, meeting different practitioners and athletes uh, across the world. So uh, if you're interested in reaching out, uh, speaking to me, feel free to shoot me a DM and I'll do my best to, to get back to you, answer any questions or kind of talk shop. The power of a DM, talking some shop, yeah. talking shop podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, shout out to the, the team I work with over at Exo San Diego right now. Uh, you know, working within an inter interdisciplinary team. I know we've had, the, you know, discussions and conversations about being part of an IDT and, uh, you know, the role of each individual and how how integral it is in terms of the product that you can put out uh, for the athlete and how how you can optimize their performance, empower them, you know, emotionally, psychologically, physically, and, you know, just overall mitigate risk and, and optimize performance. And, just another step, you know, uh, along the way, but the team that I work with over in San Diego, top notch, uh, individuals. So for the, for those, those people right now, uh, shout out to you guys. Cause you guys rule. <laughs> Fantastic. So a ton of, ton of insights, ton of awesome stories and a ton of takeaways. So I'll just thank, thank you again very much for your time, doctor. And I'm looking forward to our next chat. Cheers, Matt. Thanks a lot for having me on. I do appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking with you soon.